Hello to you all and warm welcome to the Pitcast by us here at the Pit Crew Online from the fans for the fans. This is our second debrief. Uh, last weekend was the Styrian Grand Prix. They'll be coming thick and fast, won't they? Um, and uh, we, this well, now we have four people doing it now because last week we had like six people. Uh, Victor was actually there initially, um, you know, forgot to record. <laughs> then we had to do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This Happens. time, hopefully, it's a bit more cohesive. So, yeah, uh, as as ever, my name is Luca. I will be your host today. First up, uh, who is part of this particular um, podcast uh, debrief in general, we've got our deputy editor, James. Hi, Luca. It's great to be back on the podcast. Uh, yeah, it is indeed. Uh, secondly, we have our WRC editor, Warren. Yeah, thanks, uh, Luca, for inviting me on to this. Uh, we're going to be interesting chat about uh, yesterday's race. Okay, and uh, last but definitely not least, I think it's the least we owe him. Uh, Victor, again, sorry about us, me me being a plum and forgetting to record. Uh, hi, Luca. Thanks for hosting this. Uh, I hope this time we'll get it uh, correctly. Yeah, well, we. I, I'm definitely recording <laughs> this time, I assure <laughs> All right, so the Styrian Grand Prix, uh, the second race at the Red Bull Ring. Um, what what are we all thinking of it so far, uh, James? Uh, was it did it considering how wild the, the Austrian Grand Prix was? Hmm. Styrian Grand Prix was a bit less manic, but still rather entertaining in parts. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a bit more sedate than the first race of the season. Um, I was commentating on it, so I found it. Um, yeah, obviously, I was kind of finding it a lot more interesting because I was sort of in the in the thick of commentating. Um, yeah, there are a few points in the middle where it sort of, uh, you know, kind of ran a little bit slowly, but it definitely picked up at the end. Um, you know, with the with Sergio Perez coming together with Albon, Norris's charge to P five, another last lap gasp from him. Uh, yeah, he's making a habit of that, isn't he? <laughs> uh, Warren, what would you, what'd you make of it? Yeah, it was definitely, as as James says, uh, definitely a lot quieter uh, as a race. Um, I think um, the those last laps were, were were just as hectic though, and um, and just seeing um, Perez come through, make some of those crazy overtakes. I think we actually didn't see the incident, did we, uh, with him and Alvin? But uh, that was uh, maybe a, a bit too far. Maybe he was just going a bit too far there, but. Uh, yeah, um, definitely, um, definitely a quieter race, but more of a normal F1 race, I would say, based on my history of, of uh, having watched many, many races over the years. I am saying nothing, because then if I agree with you, I, it means that I agree that you're old, and I'm not going to do that. I respect <laughs> my elders. Um, <laughs> Victor, uh, I... It is quite a good, because we've never had two Grand Prix at the same track in a row. We've had plenty of times where there's countries that have held the Grand Prix to, like, in consecutive Grand Prix. What's that clicking noise? Everything all right, Victor? Yep, everything all okay. right here. I get okay, you. Yeah. Right, well, um, we've never had that um, before. We've had countries hosting consecutive races, of course, but never at the same track. You think... I think it's a quite an interesting, like if there's any year where we're going to have that, it was going to always be the year where the big cov ruins everything. 
Um, but it's very interesting dynamic to see what two races in a row at the same track, uh, how di different or the same they could be. Yeah, of course, uh, this is happening due to the special circumstances. Uh, but again, uh, I think it's good we can see that uh, two races in the same circuit can be different. So we saw the Austria was almost totally different than the Styrian Grand Prix. Uh, that's an uh, interesting uh, perspective. But personally, I I wouldn't uh, fault for it if I could, let's say, to, have, to keep it going like that. So I prefer to have... Uh, weekends with uh, different races, different circuits. So we see teams uh, racing on uh, under different, uh, uh, let's say, perspectives. Yeah, I mean, considering how boring the, this track was, you I wish we could have just, you know, had a race exactly like the one at the track last week. Oh, wait, they're the same, aren't they? <laughs> I didn't, I, me I meant that completely. Um, let's talk about that start. Ferrari. <laughs> Charles Leclerc, as much as I like him, he, and I didn't, I called it a bit wrong at the start of the race, he was completely to blame. He was way too optimistic and he um, mounted the curb and took Vettel's wing off, which confirms that Vettel is definitely going back to Red Bull because he needed wings. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm terrible. James, uh, what did you make of that first lap crash between the Ferraris? It was just embarrassing, really, wasn't it? Um, it's it's funny. It's something that you kind of expected to see maybe later in the season when, you know, like we saw in Brazil, when things have got a little bit heated between them and come to a boiling point. But I didn't expect to see that first lap of race two. Um, yeah, I, yeah, we kind of see sometimes, I think, with Charles Leclerc that, you know, when he's on it, he's brilliant. Um, but he reminds me a little bit of Max Verstappen in those early years that he'll have those races where it's a little bit scruffy, where he'll put in these kind of ambitious overtakes to, you know, probably to make up for his grid penalty. And yeah, sometimes, you know, when it works, it's magic, but sometimes it just really doesn't come off. Um, like we saw from him in Monaco last year when he's trying to make up for, um, for a few incidents down the field and just kept getting worse for him. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's something I imagine he'll probably iron out with time and a bit more experience. But yeah, that's that's just not good, is it? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, Warren, what about you? What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the first rule, isn't it? You you don't take out your teammate. And um, yeah, fair play to him for admitting that he, he was he was at fault. Um, you know, in the interview uh, subsequently, but. Dear idea. That really was a kind of rookie mistake, wasn't it? Um, showing his inexperience. Um, and just one of those things, you know, uh, you have to make the mistakes to learn from them. But um, quite costly for the team, really, because it put him put him out of the race as well. Because the amount of damage to that uh, left-hand uh, sort of trailing edge of the, of the side pod was just horrendous. It was just dragging all over the place, wasn't it? So... Yeah, yeah, that kind of you could probably link that back to sort of some of the mistakes that Kvyat made uh, when he was at Red Bull um, mm. as well, I would say. Um, and you can go back in time, you know, to some mistakes. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, um, Canadian Grand Prix, rear ended the Kimi uh, at the end of the pit lane because he didn't see it as a red light. 
things like that. It just these guys they make the mistakes because they're pushing, they're pushing hard, and they want to, you know, be successful. And um, yeah, I mean, you can see it's just it's stuff that happens in most sport in general. You, you saw get through to the World Rally Championship with loads of mistakes from Lapler um, during the 2017 season, just crashing and, and just generally not having a very good year, finishing way down the, the points uh, at the end of the year. Um, so, um, yeah, just one of those things. Actually, I'm thinking that's more about 2016, actually, rather than 2017. Because Volkswagen pulled out by then, but um, yeah, these guys—they make mistakes. It happens. They are human, after all. Yeah, and we always like to give the more experienced drivers, you know, like Vettel when he spins all the time, having him make mistakes constantly. With Leclerc, it's not like oh, it may look like we're just on a Vettel bandwagon of hate when you know when Leclerc makes a mistake. It's like that Gordon Ramsay meme. Where it's like, oh, gorgeous, oh, but then Beth makes me, you effing donkey. Like it's not obviously, we don't mean to do that. When everyone, everyone will make mistakes eventually, and like you, I was gonna mention there, Leclerc did put his hands up, admit fault, admit that he let the team down, and people often seem to, like obviously, ideally, you never want to make these errors, but when you do, when you put your hands up to it and admit that you screwed up badly it's it's a mark of a of a great man like i've always felt like drive not drivers but indeed anyone in particular if they're, they're man enough to admit that they screwed up that's a real strength like we always seem to for, seem to assume that admitting you were wrong is admitting you're weak it's not and uh seeing like leclerc in this instance and Hamilton in Brazil last year on Albon, admitting that it was their fault and taking whatever came their way was good on them. Um, Victor, you got anything to add to that? I have to add, okay, I admit that it was uh, very good of him that he admitted that he made the mistake, but if you think about it, he must learn to work under pressure, especially in the following years where Fettel is out, out of Ferrari, I mean, then all the pressure will be on Leclerc. So mistakes like that will cost him more than now because now, okay, everyone can blame Fettel or they think that uh, everything is on Fettel. But uh, from next year, it will be different. And the expectations will be higher for Leclerc from the whole team. The whole Ferrari will be uh, based and the cars will be designed on him. So he has to show something more. Yeah, well... uh, who's going to speak there Warren? no i just uh, yeah i completely uh yeah, completely agree with victor on that one absolutely yeah. spot on we have got into this habit now of well of um, not even fast tracking drivers but just sort of like getting them in when they're really young and eager uh you know they're like we got this we had verstappen in f1 age 17 and we often sort of forget that whilst they are there and we have to give some breathing room because they are going to make errors at a an inexperienced point. They're still in the peak of Formula One and they can't be making those errors. And thankfully with Clerk, these errors, albeit like he had like in Azerbaijan last year and uh and also Germany, although I don't think many people could have kept it on the <laughs> rest of there. 
Um, he definitely, had, thankfully, errors are very few and far between for for Clerk. He often makes less than Vettel, but it's even one is still often too many, especially when it costs the team a, a, an entire race of worth of data. So, yeah, hopefully Leclerc will learn from that. I reckon he will. Do we think he will? I think so. I think, you know, like Warren made the point with drivers like Hamilton and Verstappen all kind of making mistakes in their younger years. They've all matured from it and they've all gone on to much greater things. Um, you know, I remember back to Verstappen in Monaco in 2016 when he could just barely keep the car between the barriers. But you kind of wouldn't expect him to make those mistakes now because he's matured to such a level. And I think Leclerc, he's a few years behind Verstappen in that kind of the maturation in Formula One. So I think he'll he'll get to the point where, you know, these mistakes will be ironed out. And it might be a case that when he is the team leader at Ferrari, he kind of rises to that occasion. Um, while he's going up against Vettel at the moment, maybe that's the kind of pressure he's under to assert himself over a four-time world champion. But when the team's kind of building around him from next year, he might be in a much more comfortable position to, you know, iron out a lot of these scruffy errors. Yeah, um, I, I do have to ask as well. The fact is, is that Leclerc is going to be the effect, de facto team leader in what would be his only his fourth season in Formula One. And Carlos Sainz had been in F1 for two, no, three full seasons before Leclerc joined. And now Sainz is going to be coming in. And we, do we honestly believe that Sainz is going to be willing to play number two in this, in, in this inter-team dynamic? I don't think so. I don't think so. I I think at least at the beginning, it will be like more 50-50. And then uh, I believe the team will see which driver performs better. Although we're talking about Ferrari, right? And we all know they they had uh, one first driver, second driver since ever. So it will be interesting to see what they're going to do next year, especially if Sainz uh, performing better than uh, Leclerc. Do we think he will? I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Because for science, it will be a big uh, change as well, if you think about it. Although this year, McLaren goes better than Ferrari. Uh, but still, it will be a big difference for him. New team, uh, new car. So we'll have to see how it will go. Uh, do we think that science is regretting his Ferrari move? <laughs> Uh, maybe in the short term, um, but I don't know. I think a move to Ferrari any year, even a bad year for Ferrari, you know, it, it's still Ferrari. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine McLaren next year might be, if they're sticking with the same cars, but with a Mercedes engine, you know, he might be looking at the McLarens ahead on the track and thinking, oh, I wish I was still in them. But, you know... Yeah, Ferrari is Ferrari. It's it's the most successful team in F1 history for a reason. Um, I think they will come good. They're just, they've just got a bad car this year. All right, uh, now to the inevitable uh, pink Mercedes talk, as ever. Um, so during the race, well, in qualifying, during what qualifying, Perez was eliminated in Q1 and stormed through the field and was actually on the coattails of Alex Albon's Red Bull. And like, in, <laughs> like the black Mercedes, nearly punted Albon out at turn four, only this time Albon didn't 
suffer any damage and Perez's wing was instead just hanging off and he ended up finishing sixth after a speedy Lando Norris came back through from eighth on the penultimate lap or no the lap before or something to end up finishing ahead of Perez in P5 um, but then after the race um, Ricardo had been dive-bombed by Stroll um, which is what helped Lando power through those two on his way to fifth but after the race, Renault decided to formally lodge a protest claiming that the racing point to, I, I, I forget exactly what their words were, they think it is illegal. So, Warren, uh, do you want me to throw this over to you first? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so this is quite interesting. And we, talk, we talked uh, last week about this as well, didn't we? Uh, about the copying that goes on in, in these Formula um, sports. I think. Um, they might have something, but you know, I guess they they just need to look at the facts, don't they? They'll just need to look at what's the reality is, and whether it is a copy or whether it's actually Mercedes parts. I don't. What do you want to think of that? I mean, the the chance that Mercedes might have actually sold them the parts to put on their car. Do we really think that happened? That would be an interesting uh, sort of uh, turn up, wouldn't it? Um, but I don't, I don't think they would. I mean, I just, I just don't see it. You know, why, why would you give a competitor the same equipment? You know? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we often think about these, um, these systems. In, look, Paul Stoddard, who ran Minardi for the last few years, um, before selling to Red Bull to make their B team, he made the bold prediction, or probably not that bold prediction, that F1 would become a like a almost have like a tier system of top teams and then middle and bottom teams, which all are directly from the top teams or something. And um, it's it's now a case that we have them a lot of these teams who now you know field a lot of the younger drivers of the top teams, so they can like nurture and iron out all the rough edges before they are called potentially to the top teams when they are the complete package. And it is getting to a point now where supposedly this racing point is a Mercedes, like completely. Um, there are some teams that will not bow down to the, the, to the system. You know, Williams, they're, they're, they, they would much rather go bust with a car of their own rather than do what racing point does and, and supposedly get the race winning car and just copy it completely. So, James, do you think that this system now, where teams will help smaller teams out, is that becoming a bit damaging now to Formula One? Um, oh, it's hard to say because, you know, on the, on the one hand, Perez in that racing point gave us some brilliant action throughout the day. Um, the fact that you saw a racing point catching a Red Bull potentially, um, you know, potentially going for fourth could have been in a position for a podium if something had happened to one of the top three. Uh, that's that's great from a fan's point of view because you know it means we don't just have the top two or three teams scampering off into the distance and then somebody scrapping for P six P seven um, like over a minute behind. Um, I know there's the argument of whether it's in Formula One's DNA or not. Um, I I kind of take a bit of issue with that because while we haven't seen it to this degree before 
teams copying points of interest from each other's cars happens all the time. Um, you know, you look throughout the grid, you see like the Ferrari side pods that they pioneered in, I think 2017, 2018, that were rapidly adopted across the field. The thumb tip nose that, um, that a few teams pioneered in 2015, rapidly adopted as the kind of de facto, uh, the default design. Well, I think that was because most of them were initially, they initially had schlongs on them yeah. instead and they just <laughs> yes. didn't want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, it's, yeah, Racing Point have taken it a step further. Um, I know you probably couldn't talk about this without bringing up Haas as well, the, the help they've had from Ferrari. Um, it's kind of a natural evolution, I think, where teams sort of take inspiration from each other, buy parts from each other, and then just think, what happens if we try and recreate last year's Mercedes or... Um, to be honest, I'm surprised it's not happened sooner. Um, in this kind of era of Formula One, where you've got a couple of teams that are so dominant, I'm surprised that some of the midfield teams haven't thought, you know, let's try and copy um, at least some of the design philosophy of the Mercedes or some of the de- design philosophy of the Red Bull and just see what it gets us. You know, if it gets us some extra, some extra money so that when the rules change comes in, we can invest that more in a new car, why not give it a shot? Yeah, I mean, like, if it, if there has been a thorough analysis of the racing point, and 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 hopefully they haven't actually, you know, just gone up to Mercedes and be like, "Hey, here's some money. Can we have your designs?" And I guess that in and of itself is against the the rules, but we definitely. I'll see in a point now where, you know, it, it does look very, very similar and it obviously works. Like Racing Point were really struggling last year, but now this year they've really shown that they've got genuine pace. And so, Victor, I'll, I'll, I'll throw you under the bus here. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just I really want to know, like, where do we draw this line? Where do we, <laughs> from when I say draw this line and Racing Point gets called Tracing Point because of how they trace Mercedes, um, Racing Point have obviously made it very clear that they are not ashamed of the fact that they have gone for the philosophy of the car that wins and supposedly that's what we're in this for is to see cars be successful so what exactly do we do now to make sure that, that this doesn't go too far? First of all uh, as a fan I would say it's nice because as James uh, said we can see some fights in the middle teams. Uh, we saw even a uh, racing point getting closing to closer to Red Bull. And uh, Perez was, let's say, unlucky or had this uh, incident between him and Albon, which cost him the fourth place. Uh, but as a team, I will be very cautious and saying that if we see the rest of the teams like Renault, McLaren, they're losing money because they're losing positions and they're losing points. So that's not fair for the rest of the teams. But again, I don't see how Racing Point or can, can get these uh, designs from Mercedes. And uh, if you see Renault is talking about the brake ducts. So we're talking about a very specific part of the car, which, okay, it's visible, especially if the teams, they want to see the rest of the competitors and copy the designs. But how can they get all the details and make it that similar that part i don't know um hopefully it's not true 
to be honest for the sport. Uh, but again, you never know. We're talking about money, uh, Formula One, uh, but it should be more strict because to me that, that will ruin the sport. Ferrari can do similar things, Red Bull can do the same. And then we have like three top teams and the rest are controlled and that will ruin the sport. Um, I do often worry perhaps that uh, James, you obviously made the point about how you could see loads of teams potentially fighting up front and it's not just a status quo, but if it is a case of everyone, like if Mercedes do in fact help Racing Point with their car, surely that in exchange for that and be like, don't try to take results off of us. Like it almost, you, are, you have like a, a pillar system in place so that if if you sell something to uh, not even like a heavily competitive rival like racing point as we've been seeing have been racing Renault and McLaren they they have haven't really had much of a chance yet to get show their real true colours now uh, yeah they he was Perez was racing Albon but it was still only the potentially the tip of the iceberg so surely like with with Ferrari you know, giving uh, Alfa Romeo and Haas some insider information in exchange for potentially racing one of their drivers and being all like, please don't try to race us. Surely that does make it a, a system where there is a, the top few and the rest are all there just to fight amongst themselves, like looking for scraps. Yeah, and I think that's where the, um, you know, the real kind of negative takeaway from this comes from is that kind of the intent if Mercedes did share information with Racing Point? Um, you know, there's there's a very kind of obvious incentive for them to do so, which would be that the Racing Point would be quick enough to perhaps take away points from Ferrari and Red Bull. Um, not, of course, alleging that that's, what that that's what's going on. Um, but yeah, if that, if that was the case, then that would be quite a, that would be quite a bad thing for Formula One, I think. And the same with, you know, Ferrari supplied parts and help to Alpha and Haas with the intention that they take points away from Ferrari's rivals. If if Red Bull did the same with Alpha Tauri, then I think that would be, yeah, that would be negative for Formula One because then it would come down to whichever big team has the most kind of manu uh, most kind of customer allies. Um, yeah. And then you get teams like, like Victor said with Renault and McLaren um, Williams as well, kind of get caught out in all of that and almost have no chance really um, without doing what Racing Point did and copy another car's design. Um, yeah, so while yeah, while it does provide some extra excitement in the races when you've got a car that can mix it with the top teams, there is, there is a way it could go that would be damaging for the sport, I think. Uh, we're looking ahead to 2022 when there are these new regulations being brought into place now, which will potentially close the gap between the, the the top three, like status quo, and then the rest of the field. Um, do you really think that with the way the F1 is at the moment, with the with those top three uh, being solidified in place and not being troubled so much? That the current system in place with a lot of the lot of the other teams getting benefits from those top three, you know, like Alpha Tar, I, I nearly said Toros there. I'm still not out of the habit. 
Alpha Tauri with Red Bull and Haas and Alpha with um, with Ferrari, Mercedes with Racing Point and potentially even Williams to a certain extent because they're still their engine supply. And then you've got McLaren and Renault just still a bit on their own. Like those two aren't really that relevant, but with the with the still the very the very commonplace uh, status quo at the front and all these other teams that benefit from them. If 2022 rolls around and it is this as much of a shake-up as we are expected to be, what's it going to mean for these little unofficial relationships? Who wants to take that? <laughs> no one. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good, really good point. I, think, I can um, start. Oh, Warren. <laughs> we see. Uh, yeah, sorry. I think often when when we see uh, rule changes, that often the gaps grow uh, between the teams. Uh, particularly uh, those at the top. Uh, obviously, sometimes you get complete, um, complete changes. Uh, we saw, you know, the 2008 and 2009, for example, when Kurz came in, that uh, because McLaren had been throwing so much at uh, Lewis's championship battle, their car just was was nowhere. Um, you know, when they came to Melbourne the following year. But over time, they developed it to a point where it was quick enough to win. And obviously, with the Lewis behind the wheel, that that really uh, helped. Because, you know, great development driver, very quick, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I think often you, you, you will see a, probably a bigger, bigger gap. Whether there's a bit of sharing going on, that might change things a bit, obviously. There's a bit of uh, parts sharing and uh, knowledge sharing between uh, certain groups, shall we say. That could change things, yeah. It might mean mm. the gap isn't it so big. Well, we've got like the, because um, typically what you, ne- what you uh, normally expect um, is uh, like with these new rule changes, it is often whoever spends the most, but that's going to be null and void for, um, for 2022, because we'll have a budget cap. Was it? It was either 145 or um, 175 million. Um, and uh, it's now a case that we are not going to be able to just see the top three teams run away with it. Actually, no. I think the budget cap's coming in next year, in time for the 2022 regulations. Okay. So it will be in the lead up to it. So. Um, with next year, these drivers are going to, these teams, sorry, these teams are going to remain using their car. McLaren obviously are changing their engines, and I think they're going with the 18-inch rims that we've been seeing in Formula 2 as well. Um, but then 2022 is when we will definitely see these new cars, and we can see the landscape of it almost take shape in front of our very eyes. And so we... We really don't know how this um, the current status quo in Formula One is now with all these links really working. Uh, Victor, uh, do you have anything to add to that? I hope that uh, 2022 will close the gap between the teams and especially the gap that Mercedes has created, which is far, far ahead and unreachable for now. And hopefully, it will happen with you know with uh, some good and we can see some good races and uh, more battles for points uh, but to be honest what i've seen from mercedes the past years uh, it's uh, it terrifies me they're very good and they have uh, good engineering solutions so i'm just looking forward to, to the new regulations 
and to see what uh, these guys can come up with. Yep, well, uh, moving on to, I mean, the race itself wasn't particularly eventful. I mean, we had that uh, incredible last few laps, Lando Norris getting up to, to fifth. Um, other than that, it wasn't really particularly exciting. So let's move on to some news that happened off track. First of all, we have the news that Fernando Alonso, he is coming back to Formula One for 2021 uh, with Renault. Now, I wrote an article on this. I was very surprised and perplexed as to why he would want to come back, but he seems to be banking his entire stock on 2022 regulations, funnily enough, closing the gap between the top three. Because, like we were saying, we weren't saying this earlier, but the point is, is that he said he only ever wanted to come back if he was going to be with a race-winning team. So why the hell he's going to Renault? I don't know, but he has a lot of faith in these regulations. Um, James, what did you make of uh, the announcement that Alonso was returning with Renault? I was very surprised. Um, I know that you know Fernando Alonso comes up in the driver market rumours every year. Um, and as soon as his name was linked with Renault, I just thought, yeah, that's just because he's available. Um, I never seriously gave it any thought. Um, I can see... On the one hand, on the one hand, like you said, he said he'd only come back for a race-winning car. So, why is he coming back to Renault? Um, but I can see, you know, with the rules change coming up, that it's kind of one last throw of the dice. Um, if it doesn't work, you know, he only has to do a couple seasons there, and then he can just retire again. But yeah, it, I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure what to make of it. I think because I cover a lot of F2 and F3, my uh, my kind of allegiance lies with the people like Christian Lungard and Guan Yu Zhou, who must have been gutted with that decision. Um, and it brought to mind the comments that Jack Aitken made when he moved from the Renault Academy to Williams, when he said, you know, there's not uh, not really an opportunity for him to go through into the main F1 team. And I think, yeah, this it can't be a great vote of confidence for their driver academy. Um yeah, maybe they maybe they didn't think that Joe or Lungard would going to be ready in twenty twenty one. Still, I don't know. I I was really surprised by it. Um, <laughs> I'm still not quite sure what to expect when he comes back. Yeah, I am. I, I do have to wonder though. Like this was something I brought up in the the article I wrote. Uh, Ocon probably isn't ready to be a team leader just yet. Uh, this wouldn't have happened if they'd kept hold of Hulkenberg. But oh well. Um, they didn't know that Ricardo was going to bugger off to McLaren at the first time of, of an escape sign, first example of escape sign. Um, but they brought, they've clearly brought in Alonso because they want a very experienced pair of hands to help develop these, the, the car for the 2022 season. And he's even said, like to Renault, don't worry about 2021. Um, you might, he'll still probably, you know, come up with the radio, you know, GP2 engine. And, uh, <laughs> But he, um, he's definitely putting all of his stock in 2022. So does that factor in, perhaps, James? That the fact that he is an experienced pair of fans, he's helped develop championship-winning cars, obviously, uh, and some ones that weren't championship-winning cars that he nearly won championships with. Um, do you think maybe, uh, give it a couple of years, Ocon will be ready to be a team leader? Yeah, I mean... Um... Yeah, taking the first part of the question, like if you want a driver to 
um, you know, replacing Ricardo. If you want a driver who can just plug in as a talented megastar driver, it's a no-brainer going with Alonso. Um, even if his even if his racecraft has been dulled by the couple of years out, he's still one of the greatest racing drivers of all time. Certainly one of the greatest drivers still driving at the moment. Um, and compared to the the options available, like the Formula Two drivers, some of the potential midfielders who could have moved across to Renault. He was probably, yeah, a left field option, but probably the best option. Um, with Ocon, I'm not sure because we've not, we've not really seen. Um, I don't think we've seen enough of Ocon to really judge him yet. So obviously, when he had the years at Force India, he was up against Perez in that tough teammate battle, and they're potentially unsettled by the troubles that Force India had in, uh, in 2018. So I'm not quite sure we've seen him in a kind of a stable season where he's able to just show what he's truly capable of. And there's a part of me that wonders whether Renault should have left um, deciding on a driver lineup for a little bit later in the season. You know, I think they made the comment that they didn't want to sign anyone until the season had started because they wanted to see where they were in the pecking order and how everyone was shaking out and who was on form. But they didn't wait that long. Um, they didn't really see sort of what Ocon was able to do against Daniel Ricciardo, um, what any of their junior drivers were able to do in F2. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Ocon's going to learn a lot alongside Alonso. Um, I do also worry about him. I remember what happened to Van Dorn against Alonso. Yeah, um, it's a huge concern of mine as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think time will tell for Ocon. I think he needs that kind of stable season. And this season to be honest probably isn't gonna be that stable season it might not be until next year that we see what he's really able to do and then he's up against Alonso so maybe we won't really see it then either indeed um well we gotta think also maybe the because Renault uh, I found this out on Drive to Survive it gets a lot of its uh, funding from the French government so it's mm. essentially like a state-owned um car manufacturer so they probably really had to find a, a big almost distraction from the fact that Daniel Ricciardo buggered off. So they had to really um, almost justify their F1 programme considering uh, all the, all the, um, the, the financial crises that will, that will probably come from COVID. Uh, so Warren, uh, so, sorry to put, you, to put this question to you. Do you yeah. think that perhaps Renault really needed this uh, a big name uh, and the likes of Joe and Lungard couldn't really warrant Renault to continue getting funding from the French government and continue to race in F1 and, and all that. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point, uh, Luca, and I think you're probably spot on with that because, you know, he was double world champion for Renault, admittedly, you know, 14 years ago. But, I think what we've seen from Alonso in the last, you know, with these, uh, with the Le Mans wins and um, with, you know, the success uh, within the World Endurance Championship, that he's still got that uh, absolute drive. Yeah, he took part in Dakar earlier this year. Um, he he He's committed to, you know, being a successful driver and he'll put, he'll clearly jump in anything to show what he can do, um, despite the fact that we know he's an absolute legend. 
uh, as James said, um, you know, he's the guy that came in and took the championships away from Schumacher and Ferrari. Um, much to mine and, and probably many others' delight after all those years of Ferrari dominance. Um, yeah, he can definitely lead that team. And I, you know, Ocon has to look at that as a, an opportunity for himself to learn from one of the greatest drivers in Formula 1 history. Mm. Despite the fact that he only has two championships. Yeah, we all like to think more. of him as being more... Sorry. Yeah, no, don't worry about it. Uh, we always like to think of him as having more championships than you... Like, it's almost like a Mandela effect, isn't it? <laughs> and um, the uh, having like... Um, having thought of him as only being a two-time champion is very bizarre. Um, and I'm glad that you brought up Schumacher there. Uh, Victor, you're, am I right in saying that you're a big Schumacher fan? I'm a Ferrari fan, yeah. Of course, I admire Schumacher and what he has uh, he done in Formula 1. Of course, he's a great uh, mm. driver. I think uh, everyone so, agrees on that. Oh, yeah, we definitely do. Uh, you'll probably... I don't know how you felt about him coming back with Mercedes in 2010, but we obviously saw from there... I mean, Mercedes itself, they weren't really the best they could be at that point because I remember they just bought the uh, the, the Braun team. The but they Braun, didn't yeah. Actually, yeah, but they never actually fully funded it. So Schumacher could really show a lot of his potential, especially in his later years and probably a bit rusty anyway. But do you think, do you think Alonso is in any danger of having the same sort of results uh, as what Schumacher did in his comeback with Mercedes? Uh, that's a good point, Luke, and that's uh, that's what scares me because we saw when uh, Sumacher came back with Mercedes, then uh, of course his reputation was not ruined, but he had some uh, bad years, let's say. So I don't know if the same happens to Alonso, will ruin his uh, reputation, uh, which I doubt, though. And of course we cannot compare Sumacher with Alonso. Uh, but I think it's a good move from... Uh, Alonso to, to go back to Renault and he found the motivation that he wanted to return to Formula 1 and uh, as you guys saying fight for the at least one more championship if he gets it that's good if not then still it's a win for him he's back he will race he will do what he likes he will be like the boss let's say around the team so for him it's a win-win situation yeah, and for I, the team and, and for Renault as well because they're gonna get, gain a lot from his experience do do any of you know the fact that Alonso actually owns a, a junior Formula team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, yeah I yeah. FA Racing. I I don't know why, but I can't. I, I've seen the color scheme of their cars. It is beautiful. Like it's a bright blue with yellow mm. and red. And I'm just like, because Renault's not going to have um, a a uh, after McLaren gets Mercedes engines next year, they're not going to have like a another team to uh, to power. So I was thinking maybe what Alonso should do, um, and maybe I don't know if it's financially possible, mm-hmm. get to have his own team. That yeah, I know Alan Prost did, and it didn't really end so well. But I would just love to see that those sets of colours on the F1 grid, wouldn't you guys? <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yeah, I remember. Um, <laughs> I remember a couple of years ago, it might have been like the end of 2014. There were people saying Alonso was going to retire and buy Caterham for. Oh. Next to nothing, <laughs> bring that back. And... 
Oh, I kind of want parallel that universe. <laughs> I, want, I want that green back on the grid. Yeah, Aston Martin, even if we lose the, the pink of BWT from racing points, if I, I, I would, maybe they could both sponsor another team. But bring back the, the bright green, you know, like that dark metallic green. Uh, I would love to see that. Anyway, mm. um, we are getting perilously close to the end. Uh, but I do quickly want to talk about the new addition to the F1 schedule, Mugello. Who here knows a bit about Mugello? Not at all. <laughs> it was the, it hosted the Italian MotoGP for who knows how many years, and um, I, I I did an onboard lap for the article that I ended up doing on it. And it honestly, it is getting to a point now where these tracks that are coming in from the likes of potentially like Imola, uh, Algarve in Portugal, uh, and who knows what else ends up getting selected. But we are starting to see now potentially a lot of very undulating a lot of elevation change circuits that could be brought onto the f1 calendar and it's just like <laughs> it's the norm of formula one about to about to get a shock to the system be like wait why the hell are we racing at these tilkodromes these are amazing like i'm just i'm really really excited for to see how magello is like i know all these drivers are going to love it um have we got any more things to add before we end off? I think with the track, um, I, I am, yeah, I'm excited to see Magello coming in. Um, I'd love it if if Algarve made it onto the calendar as well. Because I think this has been, you know, it's at least an opportunity for everyone to try something new like this without the worry of um, signing something like a six-year contract with Magello if it doesn't work. They can just sort of do this kind of one-off race. And then if it's a success, they think, brilliant, maybe we should have. A race at Magello more often. If it doesn't work, they think, okay, we only have to do it this one year. That's fine. We can move on. But at I least do, it's something different. I do feel a little bit for because this is obviously a year where we're not going to have much in the way of like you know fans going to tracks, obviously due to um, the current circumstances. I just feel a bit bad for all the F1 fans who live near Magello mm. who probably have never had the chance to go to Monza over the years. And then they're not going to be allowed. Like same with Portugal. Portugal hasn't had a Grand Prix since um, what, like the nineteen nineties or something. I, I don't remember. I can't remember the year. No, a little while ago. Yeah, ninety six. Yeah, I do. I, I do remember they actually put Estoril in F one ninety seven, but only because at that point it hadn't been decided which one out of Haref and Estoril they're going to go to for the season finale. Mm. All right. Um, if that's everything, then I think we can end up the episode. Okay. Cool. Is that yes. mm-hmm. no, nothing to add? All right then. Oh, okay. So that has been the Pitcast debrief uh, for the Steering Grand Prix, as well as a few other things. Um, uh, James, how about you give up your social media handle? Uh, I'm on Twitter at James Sixteen Matthews. Okay. Uh, Warren. Warren. Yeah. Yeah. You can find me as uh, as Warren underscore S underscore Nell. Uh, or just search for me, uh, Warren Pit Crew WRC Editor. Uh, Victor? You can find me on Twitter at, at FP underscore Passion. And you can find me, Luca, at the Luca Format. All right, brilliant work, everyone. Um, we will see you all out on track for the, for the Hungarian Grand Prix Pitcast pit Debrief. Damn it, that one's difficult. For the Pitcast Debrief for the Hungarian Grand Prix next week. Thank you. We will see you, see you next week. Cheers. Thank see you, you Luca. See you next week, all. <laughs>